the lady I talked to that is the uh, the Enneagram expert, she was so encouraging and so challenging. And she was like, I'm going to see you in six months because we're speaking at the same event. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but I'm going to have some tough questions for you. <laughs> Ooh. Which is she gave me these three journals she wants me to read. And then she wants me to start seeing a spiritual director. Interesting. Don't know how one goes about finding a spiritual director. I've got a guy. He works out of a storage unit in Tacoma. Oh, my gosh. His name's Eddie. (laughs) John, I don't think your idea for a spiritual director is a good idea. Oh, right. No, he's a pharmacologist or pharmacist, whatever those guys are. He's one of those. Sorry, not a spiritual director. Never mind. It's a drug dealer, I think, is the words you're looking for. Oh, yeah. He's a great guy. Fantastic. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm Sarah, and I've got a year to figure out how to get rid of Sonderless and find happiness. As part of that, one of my friends gave me this book called The Road Back to You. You ever been given a book and you're pretty sure that just by the title, it could change your life? That's how I felt about The Road Back to You. I think a little bit of this entire year-long journey is about finding the road back to me. It was written by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabiel. Both of them are experts in something known as the Enneagram. If you've never heard of the Enneagram, I suggest you look it up. And if you have heard of the Enneagram, you know just how helpful it can be. It's a way of looking at our lives, not by how we externally represent, but instead by the things that motivate us or drive us. We learned about it a couple years ago when people started saying things to me like, you're such a two, or I can tell when you do that you're a three. Then that's not how the Enneagram is supposed to be used. You're not supposed to label other people. But I was curious. So another good friend of mine gave me a book by Father Richard Rohr, and it helped describe, well, it helped describe me. And originally, it made me a little angry because I don't exactly like my personality sometimes. I'm a two. Well, or maybe a three. A two is someone who has the need to be needed. A three is someone who has the need to be appreciated or achieve or perform. The helper and the performer. I don't know if you could more perfectly describe me. I'm so grateful for Susan Stabiel and all the work that she's done around the Enneagram. And I'm so glad that she sat down with me to talk. She's such a gift. She's a master teacher of the Enneagram, and she's done over 500 workshops. Her and her husband are the co-creators of a ministry known as Life in the Trinity. She's also someone who has her own podcast known as the Enneagram Journey. And that'll be what her new book is about. Not just the Enneagram and how it affects you, but how it affects the relationships around you. I hope that it's helpful, maybe even just to inspire you to check out what you are. I know John had fun doing it, and he once told me that he would never, ever take the test. So talk to me about tests, and what do you think? If I want to figure out what my Enneagram is, because we have lots of people who do, right? So the first thing they usually do is they go online and they start taking a test. But what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say is that's not the best way to figure it out. Joe and I, my husband Joe and I, have an institute for spiritual formation that we've had for years. Yeah, I've heard some, great things. Yeah, some years we run it, some years we don't because we're busy doing other things. And um, early, like years ago, when I was still learning the Enneagram, um, we have people who come four weekends a year for two years. And uh, we would give the indicator the long form indicator, 140 questions, the first time people came. And then uh, three months later, uh, I would teach it orally. 
And more than 50% of the time, uh, after people heard their number taught orally, they uh, changed their number from what the test said. Huh. So prior to the 1970s, there really wasn't anything uh, written about the Enneagram. There wasn't, um, there wasn't much published at all, and uh, it was always taught orally. And your Enneagram number is determined by motivation and not by behavior. That's why I like it so much, because it's not like being an extrovert or an introvert, right. which is often right. just by how you express yourself or even um, the Myers-Briggs or any of that. It's really ha- what motivates you, and it can look completely different. And it's at the core of what you're looking for, which uh, then explains behavior. So we all do the same things. We just do them for different reasons. Yeah. And you know, I've been teaching 25 years, so I've been teaching a long, long time. And I've tried lots of different methods and it's just worth it to invest seven or eight hours and learn it orally, I think. I love that. So what I've heard as I read your book and I read Roar's book and I've read um, a couple other books, I, I find that the ones that are closest in my heart make me angriest. <laughs> and by that, I mean, I don't want to be that personality. That's not true for every number. Gotcha. Um but it's true for most. Yeah. And I think it's because Enneagram teaching is really kind of negative in mm-hmm. a way. Um, there's some missing pieces in that understanding. And one is that the best part of you is also the worst part of you. Or the worst part of you is also the best part of you. Another is that um, we don't really know ourselves by what we get right. We know ourselves by what we get wrong. Mm. And that's particularly true of internal terrain. So I think it has to kind of get you and be a little embarrassing, make you a little squirmy and a little bit uncomfortable. And most numbers experience it exactly that way. That's interesting. I had dinner with a couple who are both uh, self-professed fives, right? So part of it I've always heard is you you can't... uh, find someone else. They have to find it for themselves. Right. Absolutely true. And uh, they as fives, I just said to them, like, I've always, I love your person. I want your personality yeah. because it seems so uh, stable, mm-hmm. so emotionally unaffected, so able of being confident in themselves. Yeah. And they looked at me and they said, oh, we want your personality. Like yeah. you're, you woo people, people love you. And I said, yeah, but I'm every day I get my ass kicked <laughs> like daily. Yeah, I, I think what, what we could ultimately get to is that we all have the potential for all nine numbers. Mm. We uh, just allow how we see to determine habitual behavior. So anytime we're on the edge of spiritual growth or on the edge of personal growth, I think it's because we're able for a time or maybe forever to see from another perspective, mm. which is pretty great. Yeah. So if I tend to lean towards, from what I've read in your book, I feel like mm-hmm. to uh, the the need to be needed, mm-hmm. uh, that plays out a lot in my ministry. Mm-hmm. But I do see uh, three in me a lot. I'm an overachiever, always have been. I used to talk about when I moved. So I moved from Canada to Mississippi, uh-huh. which makes a lot of That's sense. That's a move. Yeah, quite a move. And I was yeah. 14. So uh, I had no idea what America was like at all. I think I thought it was like Saved by the Bell. 
But when I moved, I decided like, I got to figure out what it means to be American and Christian and all those things. And so I started dating the captain of the football team because I thought Mm -hmm. somehow his identity would transfer to my value. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a great guy. So it wasn't that kind of a thing. But I find even in my friendships and things like that, I kind of have to second guess myself because do I feel more valuable because these people think I'm valuable? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, there is this, nothing is ever enough, right? Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. do really well. And most people, you know, I was published at a fairly young age and most people would be like, yay, that's great. That's good. Mm -hmm. And I can't even, you know, Susan, I can't even feel it. It, If I'm honest, which is what what this podcast is all about. If I'm honest, I don't feel that. I don't feel the accolades and it takes one critique and that's who I am. So let's let's talk about twos and threes for a sure. little bit. I'd love it. Twos are uh, motivated by a desire to be wanted, mm-hmm. and threes are motivated by a desire to be loved for who they are and not for what they do. And those two things sound the same, but they're actually very different. So twos are uh, much more relational than threes. Okay. Threes are personable, but not personal. Mm. And twos are personal. Twos are often very forthcoming with people they trust. And twos spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not people like them and whether or not people have space for them. Threes, not so much. Threes are worried about whether or not people respect them so they'll want to follow them. Mm. Because threes really want to lead. I've often said that I think being a senior pastor uh, would be a difficult place for a two. It, uh, and the funny thing is I never wanted to be a senior pastor. Yeah. So uh, a portion of my story is that uh, I oftentimes feel like I end up leading and I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels incredibly isolating. So part of loving my job is because I don't feel like I'm the personality for it. I feel like I am too soft. Uh, in some ways, I look at other pastors I know, and they just kind of, this is the way we're going, and we're going that way. And yeah. I stew and hate that decision, you know, have to be made, but they do. Sure. And in those moments, I can step up and do it. But I, I feel like I always end up leading, and I never want to. So uh, even as a kid, you know, think about in second grade when you're told you have to choose teams. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone always wanted to be in my team because they knew I get it done. Yeah. And that's always been me. And then I actually went to seminary with no intention of being a pastor. I thought that would be mm-hmm. the worst. Uh, and then I wanted to work with youth in college for a long time. And I studied art on the side because t- I thought that would be like, oh, yeah, I'll just end up doing like acting or art or one of those things. And that's where mm-hmm. I think sometimes threes really resonate with me because I really loved the the performing. And I know performance yeah. is different, but uh, I come alive when I'm on the stage. Um, yeah. I come alive when I preach. Yeah. I'm really strong at that. And when I am doing the more administration stuff, I fall mm-hmm. apart. I hate it. And I, I feel uh, insecure all the time. I feel like I'm making the wrong decision all the time. I feel like mm-hmm. someone is always mad at me uh, and that hurts. And I'm capable of gathering a lot of people, but it is because 
I am capable of self-disclosing to the point where people feel close to me and then they want to join the thing I'm doing. And I get excited about people. And so a lot of the folks around me are the folks who have been hurt by the church in the past, Mm -hmm. but then you're constantly Mm -hmm. surrounded by people who have been hurt and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of relational massaging and trying Mm -hmm. uh, to express God's love and trying to be Jesus when you shouldn't be. So it's really interesting. I struggle with not knowing which one I am. Well, I would say uh, I, I have something for you to work on for a few months. I'm ready. Because it's real important that you know. I love that. Just so, so you know, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, I'm going to go on record as saying that I think you're probably a two with mm-hmm. a really big three wing. So we'll we'll see if that ends up being true. Uh, Henry Nowen, uh, you know who that is? Oh, yeah. You're, now you're speaking my, my language right now. All right. So Nowen was a self-identified two on the Enneagram. So read uh, these four journals, Genesee Diary, uh-huh. and then read Gracias, okay. Road to Daybreak, and then Adam. Okay. And then Dorothy Day. You know Dorothy Day? Uh-huh. So Dorothy Day, for anybody who's listening and doesn't know, was the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. And she's a three on the Enneagram, but she's not a, you know, threes are very image conscious, and threes can kind of morph into being who they think you want them to be. Threes take in information with feelings, but then they don't use feelings to process or to make sense of the information they've taken in. And um, I live in a three city. I live in Dallas, so I live (laughs) in a three city. Annie Grandmasters pretty much agree that the United States is a three country. Right. So there's an image of threes in Dallas, Texas, in the United States, that's quite different from Dorothy Day as a three. Uh, Her image was in what she did and what she accomplished. She has uh, diaries that have been recently released that I think were edited by Ellsberg, maybe. I would really encourage you to read Dorothy Day. I'll do it. And then you'll know. You, You will identify with the motives of one of the two of them. And then you'll know that the other part of you is a big wing. And it's worth three or four months of reading and thinking about those two people to know for sure. Because when you have a really big wing, sometimes it's hard to know. And when you have a job or a, a professional responsibility that requires you to do certain things, like have a public persona, it can make you wonder which number you are. So I'm... I'm a two, and I had a one wing in the first half of life. You have one wing for the first half of life, and then in the second half of life, you add the other wing. Okay. I'm not really living the life that I thought I would. So I'm content, and I I feel like I'm making a difference in the world, but this isn't being an author and a public teacher is not the life I dreamed of. What did you dream of? Well, when I was... Um, in high school and college, I wanted to coach college basketball. That was my life stream. We really and are best friends. I'm, I'm a college basketball fiend. Yeah, and I was well, an RA I, for girls in college there basketball. You go. Well, I was the first women's coach at SMU after Title IX. And that was after coaching high school basketball. So I um, did that for a while. But, you know, in those days, there wasn't a lot of money for women's sports. And, um, uh, I didn't have lots of assistance and all that. And I uh, had a baby that I wanted to be home with more. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I gave up coaching and started a social service agency. 
for the elderly poor and then uh, ended up in this wild ministry with my husband, Joe. Uh, Our ministry is Life in the Trinity Ministry, where we um, kind of were called together, I think, both to our relationship and to our work to uh, work on establishing teaching and a place for adults for spiritual growth and development. And Richard Rohr is a good friend of ours and uh, a mentor for us and has been for years. And that's how I learned the Enneagram. And then that got kind of bigger than me. (laughs) I use both wings in the second half of life. You know, I'm 67 and you're 30s. I'm 37, but both my parents are 67 because they had me at 30. Okay. So I'm real aware of both wings. And um, I don't know if I could do what's mine to do now without a three wing. But I think the mysticism of the Enneagram is that it kind of gives us what we need if we know where to look. Mm. I have lots of respect for your public search because I don't think we give people permission to look. Well, that's what's been most bizarre is I think we thought we would get uh, women who were successful in career, but not successful in their private life. If you were Mm -hmm. to ask me who would be our number one listeners of our podcast, I would say it's going to be people between 30 and 45 who Mm -hmm. have been really successful according to the world, but whose private lives haven't been a balance. Yeah. And what I have found is the listeners are so varied. I I went to my friend's church and he said, when does the next podcast come out? And I was like, I don't know how to tell you, Jasper, as an African-American married man (laughs) with two kids. I don't understand how this, he's like, Sarah, you're giving me permission to say I'm not okay with all the parts of my life. And that, so the, the show's title is Sonderla, Sonder being the understanding that there are all these people living different lives and Sonderless being, and I want to live them. You know, I want to love the life that I'm in. And I think I have worked so hard for other people's affection, whether it be a a partner or I have wanted a a boyfriend or a a husband to, to cheer me on. You know, that's my ultimate goal would be to do have someone to cheer me on. Because when I have those hard meetings or I have those things where I doubt myself because that's a big part of who I am. And that was the other thing too. Anytime I've said the thing that I'm like, Ooh, edit that out. That's awful. I sound awful. People will write in and be like, I, I needed someone else to doubt and feel that way. Um, and you just give permission for other people to have the journey of like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not excited about everything that's happened and it hasn't gone the way I wanted it to. And as a woman in leadership, man, oh, there are enough people who want to come at you for all kinds of things. Absolutely. Especially in the church. So let me, let me uh, tell you what my husband's teaching me. I'm ready. Um, first of all, he's uh, the best person I know. So if you're deeply in love after 30 years of marriage with the person that is the best person you know, to want to travel and teach is tricky. You know, I have four children. They're all married. They all live here in the Dallas Metroplex. I have seven grandchildren and an eighth on the way. They're all here. Why would I want to get on a plane and go somewhere and teach and sleep in a hotel? And why would I want to do that? The reason is because it's mine to do. Mm -hmm. So after a number of years of that, Joe and I had a talk uh, when he left 
our last appointment. And I said, you know, uh, what if we just go ahead and kind of just hang it up and say, we, we've worked really hard in ministry for 28 years. Mm-hmm. Let's um, let's kind of find us a little spot and be within an hour's drive of all the children and hang out with each other and read. And I, I thought it sounded pretty great. He said, I'm really willing for us to go into a discernment time about that. And he said, but I, I don't think we're going to end up doing that. And I don't think we're going to, not because we don't want to, but because if we're not faithful to what's ours to do, we won't have any peace. Mm. We spent a year discerning, and um, we're not going to get a cabin. We're going to keep doing some things that we love and some things that are a challenge for us because even though it's challenging, we have peace. So from what I know about your journey this year and— um, you know, I, I don't want to sound preachy or, or old. I don't mind ever sounding motherly. <laughs> I, but, I want you to sound all of the above. <laughs> but I, I would say nothing beats peace. Yeah. And I, once I get in a room with people, no matter what city I'm in and no matter where I am, once I get in a room and, and there are people there who want to learn and who want what I have to offer, then I'm 100% glad to be there. I love to teach, and I love people. So it's perfect for me, except that getting there and getting home and being away from home and being on airplanes and in hotels is not enjoyable for me. I'm learning to kind of offer that up as a reminder that most of the people in the world go to work every day to a job that they don't love. Right. And when you have what we have, you and I, which is opportunity and education, talents that uh, the culture is interested in, in terms of you preaching or me teaching or us leading, then it, if I love every minute of that, it's a big disconnect between me and the people that I'm trying to relate to while offering the wisdom of the Enneagram or any of the other things that I teach. And I, I don't. I just don't think we get to love it all. I think you're right. I, I, I'm going to take a little risk now and say that I think we're at a real tenuous place for women in ministry. <laughs> women my age are the women who broke through the glass ceiling in terms of, you know, we've had women ministers in the Methodist Church for a long time, but not women who were lead pastors, not women who had senior positions, not women who weren't in Christian education, but who were pastors. We haven't had that for a long time. Nope. And I think if young women who are talented and gifted in the ways that you are, I, I, I think if you leave, which you may decide to do, and it may be exactly what will give you peace. But I think if you step away, um, I think we're going to lose some positions that are now given female appointments. Yeah. Kierkegaard says, we live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back. Yeah. So I have all these little things I say to myself. Um, As a two, let me tell you some questions I ask myself. When I walk towards somebody to to offer something, uh, then the question I ask is, why am I moving toward this other person? And the second question I ask is, what, if anything, do I expect to get in return? 
And then I ask, and does the other person want my help? (laughs) And then uh, I heard Thomas Long uh, preach a sermon years ago where he said, leadership uh, is enhanced by asking one question. And the one question is, what is it if I don't do it, nobody else can or will? So um, when you're a people person and you have the personality to go with that, then um, if you don't have some questions you ask yourself, then it looks like everything is yours to do. So I'm a, a woman who teaches the Enneagram in a different way than most people. I um, am a storyteller, and I teach the Enneagram with stories. So I'm, I'm a unique person in a unique field, helping people take care of themselves and take care of their relationships. And I think we're in a relationship crisis right now. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, Joe's right. And we don't get to go have a cabin, (laughs) but I have a lot of peace. I think there is this idea that if we're serving God, there's a limited thing for us to do. Like there's a a niche Mm -hmm. and this is my niche, but I do other things too. And I don't, I don't think God loves me more or less. When I was a sophomore at SMU, I, um, heard about an Episcopal priest here in Dallas. His name was Homer Rogers. And he had a little church, and I decided to go there one Sunday. It was small and beautiful. Uh, There was a mosaic behind the altar that he had made himself with little pieces of tile. And he was kind of a burly guy, and his wife's name was Dot. (laughs) And Dot was a race car driver. I love that. And they had this whole wonderful, unique relationship as a couple. Here, here's the story that was happening in my time there. They went to Mexico every summer. And um, one summer, the people that they worked with in Mexico said to Father Rogers, please just go get your stuff and come back. There are lots of priests in the States and we don't have enough priests down here. And we really struggle when you go away and we're anxious for you to come back. So would you please just come stay here and let somebody else take care of your church in the States? And he said, I'll pray about it. So he got back and he told the women who were at the church volunteering most days during the week. He said, now, listen, I'm going to be in the sanctuary praying every morning because I'm trying to discern a big thing. And so don't interrupt me until I'm through. And he was in there morning after morning for a number of weeks. And occasionally the ladies would say, well, did you get an answer? And he would say, not yet. So he came out uh, one morning, and the ladies that were there said, Well, Father, did you get an answer to your prayer? And he said, Yes, I did. He said, I knelt down and I said, Father, speaking to God, I, I will uh, go to Mexico or I'll stay here. I'm, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So just tell me, do you want me to go to Mexico and serve your people there? Or do you want me to stay here in Dallas and serve your people here? And he said, and I heard a voice pretty clear. And God said, Homer, I don't care. (laughs) So I think we have a thing to do. And I think we have to see where we have peace. And I think uh, God wants us to serve God in ways that involve loving his people and loving them well 
and having peace for ourselves. It's interesting because I come most alive when I am on the stage preaching. Like I, I love the work of creating a sermon. I love the work of storytelling. I, I love it. I get invited to come to uh, all these things and to get to speak to, particularly, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of young women. I, I love that part of my call that God has asked me to do is for me to speak and look like me on a stage and have young girls say, I never thought I would be able to relate to a female pastor. Right. I never thought that would be something I could do. You know, and one of my favorite stories I tell is of a little girl, one of my friend now friends, a uh, little girl had like set up all her dolls and she was teaching them. And her mom said, oh, are you playing school? And she said, no, I'm play- playing Pastor Sarah. There you go. And so those are the moments that I love. I just am so afraid that because I'm a female leader, because I do these things, that I will be alone. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it feels that way. (laughs) And so I'm trying to figure out how not to resent this job because it has meant that I'm accidentally a nun because people don't seem to be able to come alongside. And that's the hard part. So here's what I think. Um, I think in in uh, the reality of ministry, uh, the church will take everything you'll give it. I know. So you got to not give it everything. You know, I have a, Joe and I have a really practical way that somebody offered us 30 years ago. So I'll tell you what it is. I'm ready. This therapist handed us a piece of paper that had three rows and seven columns. And the rows were morning, afternoon, and evening. And the columns were the days of the week. Right, yeah. And we ended up with 21 squares. And he said, at the beginning of every week, you each mark out one square for yourself. And then you mark out two squares for you as a couple. And then you mark out what the children need, and the church can have the rest. And if something happens at the church that you have to give away, one of the squares for you as a couple, or the square that's for you, yourself, then you replace that in real time. Mm. So right then you find a square that you're going to take from the church and give that to yourself. And we literally live by that until all of our children left home. And then we gave it up for a couple of years and we've gone back to it. So do you not take days off? Uh, we don't have the same days off. Mm. Uh, the church where Joe is now has a huge staff and uh, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, it's a 17,000. It's a big one. And Joe's day off, uh, because he's had of pastoral care, uh, congregational care, his day off is Fridays. I'm usually teaching on Fridays and Saturdays. So, uh, but back in the day when he had a day off that I also had off, we also each took a square for ourselves and we each took when we both took two squares for us as couples. So you need a square for yourself and you need two squares for dating. (laughs) I tried. I mean, we could do an entire podcast of what it was like, the experience of being a a two or three, uh, learning how to date again was it's hard, especially I have this persona and then I'm not that in some ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People don't know what to do with, uh, with some of that, I think. I think so too. And I think, and I think that when people want to be in a relationship, it comes when you're not looking. Yeah. That's a tough one. People have said that to me for years and I'm like, I haven't been looking for years. (laughs) Yeah. 
I waited and waited. Right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? I waited. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I waited. Richard Rohr says, either God is in everything or God is in nothing. Mm. So God's in this too. And God's in this search and this journey and in this year. And you're doing some very brave and courageous things. Thanks. So something's going to happen. So Joe, when he was a priest, hmm. to, he loves, he's a cowboy. He likes to rope and ride and do all that stuff. And uh, he loves country and Western music, and he's a really good dancer. And he went to horse training school in Oklahoma when he was appointed here in Dallas at a Catholic church. And it was two weeks. And he didn't tell anybody he was a priest. He just went and did cowboy horse training <laughs> And I, I think um, maybe you can find an anonymous place to go see who you are when you're not Pastor Sarah. Yeah. And what you're doing is making a difference in people's lives. I, I don't think it, I don't believe in the rewarding and punishing God, but I do think God is honoring of our faithfulness. Hmm. So Joe says God can't be anything but faithful. That the faithful journey is all on our side to see if we can be faithful. I think that you will know at the end of a year whether or not it's time for you to move to a different part of the country and try something different or stay there. And a year discernment is a long time. Yeah. And I think God will honor that. It's hard because I, there are so many areas that I have seen just such growth in. Uh, yeah. And then there's so many areas that it feels like I haven't changed at all. And it's actually my podcast editors who are like, you're not the same person you were six months ago. You think you are, yeah, but, but, you're it, not. but you're not. And I think that's part of the pain when you're birthing something, when something new, a new way of life is coming because yeah. I, my days off look like guilt. My days off look like, uh, for instance, I went, uh, my cousin and I rented a Airstream this weekend and oh, we went, went and stayed in the Airstream in Cayucas. Uh, she came and visited me from Toronto and it was great, but there was a stormy situation going on in our congregation. And I wanted to uh, call in and check in with everyone because of course I'm Jesus and I'm the mm -hmm. person that they need. And I, I was given the advice by some folks that, uh, no, you don't, it's not up to you. It's up to the leadership team to kind of take care of this. Yeah. And of course I get back and it's blown up and the person says directly, I wish Sarah had reached out to me. And it's like, I have built in this way where people think if it's not me, then they're not being cared for. And yeah. I know that's not healthy. And I don't want to do that anymore. Or do I? Because I keep, see, I keep seeming to make this pattern. Where well, have you been at disappointment? Only a year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in full-time so, ministry since 2012. So maybe you say to your uh, people... You know, I've made a big mistake uh, thinking that I can be everything for all of you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to take care of me, too. So uh, there are going to be times when I'm not available. Doesn't mean I don't, don't love you. It doesn't mean that I won't be back. It doesn't mean that I don't care about you. It means that I have to care about me, too. And, you know, uh, Sabbath keeping was one of the big ten. Hmm. Yeah. And we're not very good at that. No. And I don't like it because I don't like being alone. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to be the mystic. Like I have these like people who love being alone. So I graduated from seminary in 2005 and uh, 
I graduated with some incredible people like Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, just these incredible yeah. people who are just like mystics. They love spending time. I get anxious alone. I feel, I think I hate like contemplative prayer is really hard for me because I mm-hmm. sit and I go, I don't really know if I like this person I'm sitting with and mm-hmm. uh, how can I perform? What can I do? Uh, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, even in, <laughs> when I went through uh, the most recent breakup, my thing was that I was going to give myself some time to pray and just stop trying to control everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would pray at the, every morning at the beach. That's the beauty of Southern California. There I would pray at the beach. Uh, you know, I got offered a job in Houston, Texas, and they asked me what they could do to get me to be the lead pastor there. And I said, you would mm-hmm. have to move the ocean. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's Houston. And they were like, well, I think God tries to move the ocean every couple of years. Yeah, towards yeah, Houston. They got a lot of water there. <laughs> but uh, I, my, my friend said, you know, what's funny, Sarah, is you're even trying to control your Sabbath. So here's what I think. I think reading those now in journals is going to be a big thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I publicly one day said years ago, uh, before I thought about it, I said, you know what? I think it'd be really good for people to read somebody who is their Enneagram number. So I've decided I'm going to read everything that Henry Nouwen wrote in the order that he wrote it. (laughs) And I had no idea that he'd written 42 books. Yeah, he's written a lot. But because I said it publicly, I did it. Mm. I think the journals are going to be a good journey for you. Okay. A real good journey for you. You know, I'm not a solid reader. So for me to agree to read, it's a big deal. Everybody can read 10 pages a day. I know. Well, and Henri Nouwen's reading is really easy. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, that feeling that you described, how you felt when you read about your Enneagram number, Mm -hmm. that little squirmy feeling, you're going to, if you're a two, you're going to feel that when you read Nouwen's journals this time. I think it's just, it feels like it's such a weak number and I feel like it, and maybe everyone feels that way, but I feel like I... I am oftentimes it feels like I am acting out of a wound. Everybody's acting out of a wound. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. You know, and I, I can, I know the, where the performer came from, you know, I spent enough money in therapy to figure that one out. (laughs) And I think that's a frustrating thing too, is like, you're like, I've spent thousands in therapy. How am I still here? Yeah. Um, But I think it takes a long time. To be content. Well, I also think that there's no, there. it's a circuitous journey, not a, a linear journey. Mm. I think you'll always be here again and again and again, because I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea that you're moving from point A to point B has to do with change, not transformation. Mm. And transformation occurs when you lose something, not when you add something. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I think we all revisit the same things over and over. Do you have a spiritual director? I don't in this season. I used to. I yeah. don't. You might need to find you one of those. Um, I think you need to call some of the convents and see if you can find a nun. Whew. <laughs> Why a nun? Because uh, she will have had a spiritual director since she took vows. So she'll have a lot of history with spiritual direction. And so that you can discover the difference in your life and hers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be, uh, what's the word? Single. <laughs> well, no, that, that either. Uh, that's been, you know, and that's a weird thing for me. That really only started when I was in ministry. And so I think I've, yeah. I've got this sense of uh, the call is lonely. Then yeah. the lifestyle became lonely. Yeah. And then 
I think I don't want to resent. That's the word I'm looking for. I don't yeah. want to resent this beautiful thing that I've been given. And that's the one thing that I was afraid in even doing this podcast is that people would listen to it and go, you are like so lucky. Look at your life. How can you have Sonderless? How can you wish that your life was anything different? Like how many people are walking around with wishing their lives look like you? And as a two uh, or someone who identifies as part of a two, I look around the world and go, my life is good. Why am I feeling this deep sense of disconnect? Because you're lonely. Yeah. Twos, twos are very uh, relational. That's our thing. We're very relational. So don't beat yourself up for that. You get to feel whatever you feel. There is no moral value in feelings. Mm. Feelings like just that. are. I'm glad to be on the journey. I don't yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah, but you're on it. But you're on it. And you'll understand it looking back. I hope so. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah. So maybe we can do this again in six or eight months after you've uh, got a spiritual director and after you've read now and, and Dorothy day and Dorothy day. Hey, yeah. I really appreciate all the work that you do. I right really back do. at you. I, I hope really our do. paths cross in real life somewhere. I'm sure they will. Do you, go to I wild, think they probably will too. Do you go to wild goose festival at all? I'm going to do a podcast at wild goose this year. I'm speaking at two of the tents. They've asked me to come. So wait. All right. I'll see you there. Well, you're a blessing. Thanks so much. Right back at you. Thanks for having me. Dude, question. What do you think about being a 2-3? Michael Jordan. You're, you think you're... That's a great that point. Our number is a two, two with a three. We are Michael Jordan. Greatest of all time. I've yeah. often said that about myself. <laughs> so you didn't want to take the test at all, did you? No, not at all. Why not? Why do you hate that stuff so much? Uh, because I feel like it's leading feel like it tells you, I mean, obviously it tells you a little bit about yourself, but I feel like someone will look at that and then be that way. You know, they will oh. make that their truth instead of just being their true self. Maybe, and maybe it's not all the time, but maybe there are times when you do that and then, you know, subconsciously you act a certain way because... That's the way you believe you're supposed to act. They put too much stock in, into it. Instead of using it as a guideline, they, uh, they put a lot of emphasis in that and focus on it. And then that becomes who they are. And maybe that's not quite authentic in that moment. It's difficult to hear that perhaps I am meant to be a pastor. It's difficult to hear that perhaps the world needs me to be a pastor. But no matter what, pastor or not, I sure need to learn how to make sure that I'm not being driven by something deep inside me that needs attention or needs to be loved. Sandra Less, the podcast is hosted by me, Sarah Heath. This episode was edited by a special guest editor, Greg Nordine. Sandra Less is produced by myself, Corey Severi, and Allie Fleming. Our website was created by Alex Maldonado. The theme song was written and performed by Daniel Roberts. You can visit us anytime at www.sonderlessthepodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates and exclusive content. If you like the show, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Most importantly, leave a review. It's a great way to spread the word and help people find the show. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to keep looking for your bliss.